It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the FT Money Show, brought to you by Investors Chronicle and FT Money. And welcome to the FT Money Show. In today's programme, commercial property. The professional vultures think it's time to swoop on cheap assets. But what should private investors do? Gold, in the week when the metal hit $900 an ounce and a company went prospecting in Scotland, we ask, is it too late to join the gold rush? Tax returns, uh, the clock is ticking and that form isn't going to fill itself in. So we have some tips on making self-assessment less painful. And we have some good news and bad news on 0% credit cards. I'm Matthew Vincent and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with the help of my colleague from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hello. So let's start then uh, with the money news. Uh, Commercial property shares and funds have been falling in price for months now, but some new funds are looking to buy back in. So to tell us what they know but the market doesn't, we're joined now by our expert on all things buildings-related, Dan Thomas. Hello. Dan, these vulture funds, these opportunity funds, um, why are they looking to get back in now? Well, I, I, think, I think they see an opportunity, as, as the names would suggest, really, in the market and, and a certain mispricing, which they think is evident, at least. I, I, you know, I'm about to say something which I didn't think was possible before Christmas, in, in that it probably is about time that people bought into real estate stocks again. It seems incredible this week that, it, it, that now's the time to do so. I, I, the IPD index, which is the benchmark index for all valuations, came out on Tuesday and said December had the worst valuations, all the change in total returns on record. It seems extraordinarily bad news, and yet share prices have gone up in real estate stocks. And I think this shows that although the value of direct property may still be going down and people predict it could keep going down for another six months or so, the fact is that the pricing of these stocks has built in such a recessionary level that it doesn't matter too much that the price of the direct portfolios are going down still. So we've seen private investors piling out of commercial property funds the latter half of 2007. Is there now a way for them to get into these opportunity funds? The opportunity funds themselves are, for the most part, institutional. There's was one or two uh, which will be open to private investors and, and will look to raise money through syndicates of private investors. And they're not be, quoted. They're not quoted. They'll be the, the traditional sort of syndicates who have been playing in the market already. The most relevant way to get into uh, to one of the most exciting ones, which which is the one um, launched this week by Laxey Partners, is through the AIM market. Uh, Laxey said uh, on Monday that it would launch a fund looking to raise up to a billion pounds or, into, or looking to raise up to a billion pounds in total plus debt, I should say. 
to buy into uh, corporates and into REITs and uh, see where the arbitrage is to change the uh, the share price to where they think it should be. These are normally going to be companies which might have some takeover or merger opportunities as well, which, again, will improve their share price. Uh, investors can buy into that fund on AIM, which should launch in February, I think. Just buy the shares on AIM. Uh, what about um, real estate investment trusts? Well, directly, investors can clearly just go to the market and buy, buy shares themselves in British land or land securities or Slough Estates. Any of these companies, they all have different characteristics within their portfolios. Some are in retail, some are in offices, some are in warehouses. People should have a look at the different markets and see where they think are, are the stronger areas, I think. But generally speaking, a lot of these companies are trading at 30, 40, 50% discounts than their asset values. It's a huge amount. I mean, this is, this is a, even building in the worst recession of the last cycle. It's, it's more than that. So we, taking the worst case scenario is still a good opportunity, arguably. I think you know, things like British Land, or, you know, large companies, the FTSE 100 companies, they're very sound and they're trading at 45% discounts to their net asset value. It's extraordinary, really. It's interesting you mentioned British Land because I was talking to a fund manager just earlier this week, uh, a, a deep value investor, someone who just looks for pricing anomalies where the price doesn't reflect net assets and top of his buy list. British land. It's almost unsurprising really. I think if you, if you look at the shareholder base uh, there's been some interest from the large sovereign wealth funds for example. The government of Singapore took a 3% stake in uh, British land last week. It's about 125 million approximately. And they're a very canny investor. They don't buy into stocks which don't do particularly well. They're a long term real estate investor. They see an opportunity there. They buy a 3% stake. They passively sit on it while it goes up in price. So a chance then for private investors to be canny as well it seems. Potentially. I mean, the fact is that there'll be probably more bad news to come from the property industry. Values will keep going down. There might be a few more shocks. But the analysts are predicting that by the end of the year, stocks will go up 25%. That's according to a JP Morgan note that came out yesterday. Well, that's a nice opportunity, potentially. Dan, thanks very much indeed. And uh, for the latest on commercial property, look out for Dan's article in FT Money with the Weekend FT on the 19th of January. And you can also send in your questions and your queries on this topic or any other by emailing us at ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. Still to come in the programme, tax returns. Ease those January blues with our tips on making self-assessment less grey and grim. And we have some good news and bad news on credit cards. But first, gold. According to figures out this week, private investors have invested around half a billion pounds in the yellow metal since the beginning of the year. So are they doing it because it's a safe haven or still a great investment opportunity? Charlene Goff spoke to Hector McNeil of ETF Securities to find out more about the attraction of exchange-traded gold funds. The story really goes down to three things. One is you've had the uh, credit crisis, which everybody has uh, run away from uh, bonds and equities and trying to find a real hard asset. Then you've had the weakness on the dollar, uh, which obviously gold moves in the opposite direction from the dollar, so people are seeing it as a protection against the dollar. And then finally, you've got the spectre of uh, inflation rising again. And uh, the ultimate uh, safe haven for inflation has been uh, gold as well. So I think from that perspective, uh, there's uh, three different things moving to support the gold price. And what has actually happened um, to the price and, you know, the demand for gold over the last couple of weeks? Well, certainly our uh, inflows into uh, our gold product, ETFS Physical Gold, has been tremendous uh, since this uh, situation has, has occurred. And I think this just really reflects uh, the ease of uh, use of uh, an ETF for getting exposure to gold and the ability for all sorts of investors to use this to actually achieve their exposure. I think the, uh, the, the growth itself, I mean, we've probably seen it accelerate two or 300% fold, uh, certainly since December through to January. 
And how much money is actually flowing in? Uh, how much is, is coming in, you know, on a weekly basis, for instance? Well, overall, on the commodity offering, we're seeing, uh, since the start of the year, around about $150 million a week, of which probably a good chunk of that is going into, uh, into the precious metals uh, and particularly the gold products itself. And I think ETFs give um, definitely one of the simplest um, ways for investors to access gold. You know, it's pretty hard to go out there and, and buy your own. So can you just give us a bit of an idea of how they'd actually work and how, as a private investor, you can get access to this? Yeah, I mean, the simplicity of something like the uh, ETFs Physical Gold uh, really comes down to the fact that they trade and settle and look just like equities. So a private investor, if they've got an account with a stockbroker, can trade these in the same way that they can trade their equities uh, as they do today. Uh, but I think the alternatives for holding gold are uh, extremely difficult for people and costly. You know, if you go to try and buy uh, a tenth of an ounce, which is the equivalent of the uh, one uh, share in the ETFs physical gold, you would find it very difficult to get somebody to sell you an ounce. Uh, plus, if you held gold at home, you would need insurance arrangements. you probably need a vault. Uh, you'd run that risk and uh, and also, you know, it would be quite costly for you. If you held it with a uh, third party in physical form, obviously you would have to pay those charges. With the uh, ETFS physical gold, you know, the costs are uh, pretty pretty cheap, you know, 39 basis points a year. You can uh, trade it all day, every day, and as I say, you can keep it in your own uh, brokerage account. And my broker charges me uh, £9 for uh, trading a trade on the on the LSE. The bid-offer spreads are very tight, so it's extremely efficient from uh, from that perspective and you don't have to worry about the risk of somebody stealing it. But you have actually got the gold in a vault. Uh, you know, it's a physical gold ETF. It's there. You know, how does that actually work? You said I think investors quite the, like the idea that they've, you know, there is something there tangible there that they've got. Can you tell us briefly how, how that process works? Yeah, I mean, it is it is pretty neat. I mean, the uh, the gold is actually held at one of the uh, London Bullion Market Association members, the LBMA. And uh, it's held with all the other physical metals. We have the palladium, platinum and silver as well. And uh, it's in stockpiles in the, in the vault. And no uh, ETC, exchange-traded commodity, in, uh, or EGFS physical gold can be issued without the metal being deposited in the vault. So you've always got the surety that there's actually a physical asset behind the uh, product, which obviously with the uh, current uh, credit contagion, with the subprime markets mm. in equities and bonds, you know, you're not quite sure what you're buying in those in those products, whereas uh, obviously with the uh, physical metal products, you've got the surety that there's actual physical bar in the vault. And actually, if people went onto our website, they'd see we actually print every single reference number that uh, backs the bars on the website so they can actually see their, uh, their gold sitting there from that perspective. With the demand that you've seen in the last couple of weeks, your, your vault must be getting pretty full now, is it? <laughs> Well, I think the vault is actually uh, in one of the LBMA members and, uh, you know, the actual uh, increase in, in uh, gold produced each year is pretty minimal. So I think their vault's uh, big enough to, uh, to cope with our, with our demand. But, I mean, I think it's true to say that the, all the uh, gold ETFs in the world, you know, have had, uh, had, had an impact on the price of gold. I think there's something like $20 billion of gold uh, held uh, globally now in, in gold uh, ETCs and ETFs. So I think uh, they're becoming a very important part of the gold market, and you'll often see them referenced now by precious metals analysts. So they are uh, extremely successful, and, uh, and I hope we are knocking on the door of Albert LBMA member and asking him to put an extension on his uh, vault at some point. Yeah, great, that's really interesting. Thank you very much. That was Hector McNeil of ETF Securities talking to Charlene Goff of FT Money. So to discuss that key question of how much higher the gold price can go, uh, we're joined now by Ellen Kelleher, who's been covering uh, this story uh, all of this week. Ellen, we've seen gold go through $900 an ounce. It's fallen back a bit. Where next? 
Well, uh, I, I guess the question is, if the credit crisis continues and uh, the price of oil rises higher, then some analysts are speculating that it it could spike to over $1,000, uh, which would be sort of an indicator that people are very, very concerned about inflation uh, and are looking to hedge their portfolios uh, against the risk of inflation. So the move into a, into a safe haven could still offer a speculative upside if, if you want to get in? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, and, I mean, this week more fund managers who run natural resources funds have been increasing their allocations into gold and buying into mining shares uh, with enthusiasm, uh, which would suggest that they think the price hasn't hit its high yet. That's a great difficulty, isn't it, trying to spot the top of the market? I mean, what, what indicators do you use? Uh, you mentioned the oil price. Um, Steve, I think you picked up on a story about um, buyers of jewellery in India. Well, well gold is one that is this really strange investment, isn't it? Everyone talks about the industrial needs, but then there's this kind of consumer interest, and then we have this emer- it's an emerging markets play, isn't it? You know, as, as individuals in India, women in India, if you like, there you go, I can see the emails coming now, or, or, from, or, or people in China wanting to buy more gold, um, you know, at what point do they say, no, we're not going to have gold, whether it's for jewellery or for investment purposes, and we're going to get into other assets? Do we Indian women have too much gold. Could that be the indicator here? Well, exactly. How, yeah, how much is, is too much? And mm. the interesting thing is it's a question that's going through the minds of consumers in India or in any other country, but also mm. fund managers. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a fascinating investment because it has such a personal kind of resonance for just ordinary people, but also there's just this wider institutional appeal as well. But what's amazing, I think, is the returns people have had from it. I mean, they're... What fifty percent over the past year, something like that? The gold bar. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, the returns are astronomical, uh, and we've seen since the start of January the market for exchange-traded funds, which track the gold spot price, has has just boomed. Uh, the eight hundred and seventy million dollars has gone into the market since the start of the year, which is just an incredible indication of people's enthusiasm for gold. But I think the key point there is um, how much of that money flowing into gold exchange-traded funds has been from private investors. Yeah, that's true. I mean, about 70% of uh, the money going into ETFs is is from just ordinary people. So that's amazing. I mean, the fact that people are looking to diversify their portfolios in that way. Well, are they diversifying or are they just getting out of traditional assets and getting into this kind of end-of-the-world kind of asset? Well, given what the stock market's been doing uh, in the past few days, you, you can't blame them to, you know, to some extent. No, no. I mean, markets closed midweek below 6,000, I think, for the first time since the credit crisis hit. So. Yeah, and so all that talk of uncertainty in 2008 yeah. suggests uh, to me that you know, gold is going to remain a safe haven and a speculation for some time to come. So, yeah, uh, definitely. Well, Ellen, thanks very much uh, for that. Uh, and your article on investing in gold, of course, in this week's FT Money, which is out on the 19th of January. <laughs> Coming up, we have good news and bad news on credit cards. Before that, though, grown at this point, it's tax return time. The January 31st deadline is looming. So, uh, Steve, have you, have you done yours? Sadly not, Matthew. And uh, for the year we're talking about, the year ending last spring, last April, I was self-employed. So that's even more complicated as any self-employed listeners will know. So I've got all the self-employed stuff and all the investment stuff. And I get the impression as well. It's just an impression, but that... 
banks and building societies are getting less good at sending you those little bits of paper to put those numbers in. Oh, they give you all your yeah. interest and the tax deductions. Yeah, exactly. So, so, I mean, to me, tax returns are really a game of, you. sadly, you've got to prepare. Yeah. Um, you know, there were some very sad people who I think have filled in tax returns and filed them on Christmas Day. Now, I'm not going to that extreme, <laughs> but you've got to spend time to get the paperwork together. So it really is something you need to sit down with this weekend, you know, get your paperwork together, and then whatever you haven't got, go through it and say, I need to ring NatWest, et cetera, et cetera, and make sure you get those numbers next week. So 19th, 20th of January, it's still, it's still time to... Yes. I mean, you can actually file all the way up to 11.59 on, um, on the 31st of January, although, not surprisingly, the website then starts to get slower and then you get all these kind of stressful problems of the website crashing on you and all the rest of it. So you click file so, and nothing yeah. happens. Well, exactly. I, that's exactly what happened. It, it just hung there last uh, year for my myself and you end up having to ring the revenue and they say oh yes it was a wider problem blah 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 but of course remember file in theory one minute after the deadline and they're going to fine you a hundred pounds yeah so So you really need to prepare so well let's uh, preparation a miserable gray january well let's let's just try to let's just try to brighten the outlook a a little bit with some uh, some self-assessment uh, tax tips. Uh, Elaine Moore from uh, FD Money went to go and uh, get some advice on this from John Whiting of PwC. So, John, the deadline for tax returns and payments of tax due is coming up, and HMRC are saying that many more people are filing their returns online this year than last year. What do you think the benefits of filing your return online are? Yes, about 40% of those filing self-assessment returns are going electronic, either themselves directly or, of course, their agent advisor is doing it. The main benefit, I suppose, is, let's be fair, it's ease of doing it and a certain amount of certainty because those who use the HMRC system, it really is quite a good, robust system nowadays. It doesn't cover everything. It doesn't cover sort of complex capital gains and a few other bits and pieces, foreign income very well. But it covers most areas. It leads you through. You Therefore, if you don't have employment income, you won't get asked to fill the employment pages. Of course, once you've finished, press a button and very quickly you get your tax calculation done. It says how much you owe. And once you've finished and once you're absolutely certain, you, in effect, hit another button and there you are. It's filed. And pretty soon, um, not quite instantaneously, but almost, you get the receipt back saying, Elaine, thanks very much. That was a cracking return. We filed it. That's good for peace of mind, isn't it? It is, very much so. And you'll also have a bit longer next year, won't you, to file? Well, you won't have shorter, I suppose, is the way to look at it, because you're right to highlight that in that the tax returns for the year that we're in, 2007-8, which will have to be filed next year, 31 January will still be the filing date, but only if you're filing electronically. If you want to file by paper, the filing date comes back to 31 October. So you just get three months less if you want to file your return in paper? In paper, that's right. And, of course, some people will still want to do so. Some with very complex affairs, frankly, may find it easier, although certainly most advisors are certainly getting into uh, filing electronically, and those doing their own returns, well, let's say it's well worth thinking about. For those people that do want to file online this year, are there any other tools available to them to help them? Well... 
apart from the HMRC system, which is there, it's free and available, but do allow a couple of extra days to register and get passwords and the like, there's clearly a lot of software, commercial software available. Uh, the advantage of that is it's going to go beyond what the HMRC system does. You'd use it for record keeping because when all said and done, the HMRC system is about doing your tax return. If you want something to keep your rental records, your business records, that sort of thing, well, look for some commercial software perhaps. Um, your advisor, if you have one, very probably is already using commercial software for that aspect or at least some of it to enable more flexibility to build built in perhaps to their planning advice. So John, could this mean that eventually all tax dealings occur online or via a computer and not face to face? HMRC certainly want as many people as possible to file electronically. It's easier for them for a start and there is a payback to us in terms of accuracy but I can't see us ever getting to the stage where electronic filing is compulsory. When all said and done, many people want face-to-face, -face, will remain more comfortable with paper. We're just not going to be into an, a totally e-filing thing, um, certainly not in the foreseeable future. And finally today, we have some good news and bad news on credit cards. Now, Steve, I know this is a, an area that you're particularly keen on, especially the excellent deals that you can get on 0% credit cards. Um, what have you found? What's the good news? Well, Matthew, despite the credit squeeze and talk of greater difficulties of borrowing money and more expensive borrowing, it remains a common tactic of card companies to offer 0% finance, as people will have seen. And the deals change all the time, but you know there are any number of deals out there. And they're either on spending... So it's 0% on everything you spend in the first three months or on what they call balance transfers, so transferring balances from other cards. Now, of course, they've got obvious attractions for the indebted, the people who overdid it over Christmas and so on and, and want to reduce their interest bill. Because these 0% um, rates last for quite a long time. Well, up to 15 months at best. I mean, they do. They very much vary, and it really is a question of checking the card details, and it's not easy, you know, people, common names in, in this market are MBNA, Halifax, HSBC, but they offer, you know, three or four different cards. You do need to check the terms and conditions and so on. Um, but even for the debt-free, there's a nice little savings arbitrage here. So you take out the 0% spending card, yep. You do your normal spending, and it's important to remain disciplined and not think this is free money that you're never going to have to repay. Yeah. But instead of paying it off every month, as I'm sure many listeners do, what you do is you just pay the, the minimum monthly amount, typically 2 3% and so on. And with that money that you would otherwise have used to pay off your credit card every month, you effectively keep adding a savings account, earning up to 6%. So you, so you earn 6% on the, you on earn, the money? Effectively, you're earning 6% on your spending. Yeah, and, and not having to worry about the interest racking up on your, exactly. Uh, on your credit card. Exactly. I mean, the key, of course, is to remember to, when the deal comes to an end, to pay the thing off. And, and the key as well is to ensure that you do make those minimum monthly payments because you don't make them. The card companies, again, are going to try and penalise you, whether for interest or charges and so on. And I suppose that's, that's the only bad news. You've got to be disciplined and organised uh, in order to make sure that you don't end up paying interest that you've well, exactly, and, and the potential for kind of lightheaded overspending, if you like, thinking this is free money, I'm never going to have to repay it. It's important to just fix in your mind that this is just like I'm just using a credit card for my normal spending, and equally, the money that I'm not paying back on the credit card every month, 
I don't say that's free money and I can go and blow that as well. And, and the figures on this are, can be quite uh, impressive. For example, de facto, the personal finance analysts calculated for us that if you spend £1,000 a month on your credit card, yep. just pay off the minimum each mm-hmm. month on a 15-month deal, which admittedly is at the most generous end, the return will be about £500 gross. Which is a very nice sum to have. Yeah, and better than many of the cashback credit cards out there, the ones that pay you directly for spending. Obviously, the, the sum in the savings accounts typically will be is gross, and therefore, depending on your tax situation, etc., etc. Well, I never ever thought I'd hear you suggest that something is a better deal than a cashback card. So that, that's got to be a first. Ah, well, Matthew, different types of cashback here, of course. You yes. can, of course, in implying for these cards, as... I've unfortunately I've, I've constantly said uh, you can apply for these cards through cashback websites and get a further few pounds. But that's small beer compared to the benefits of this interest-free card trick, if you like. But coming back to the, the, the sort of negatives of this, of course, you do need to diarise when you need to pay the sum off. With a balance transfer card, you know, it's what it sounds like. You run up a balance on a card and then you transfer it to another 0% deal. There are, as well, a couple of cards out there that allow you to lock into a balance transfer and simply lob the money into your current account straight away and earn, you know, earn interest without having built up the balance. There are a couple of cards that allow you to transfer the balance directly into a current or indeed savings account, so earning interest from day one, rather than having had to have built up a, a card balance already. So it sounds like there are some good deals out there for the disciplined. Steve, uh, thanks very much. As ever, and that's all we've got uh, time for on this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com, and we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me, it's goodbye from Steve. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from our podcast producers, Blue Barracuda. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.